Come on, put your hands together. We came to celebrate the name of the Lord, that powerful name, the name that's able to protect us, the name that's able to lift us and shield us from our enemies. Anybody want to celebrate that awesome name with me? The writer said, the Lord is my strength. He is my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God, and he is my rock. So let's lift our voices together and shout unto the name. Morning, Strong Tower, family and friends. Welcome to our 1030 a.m. Sunday morning service. In just a few moments, our very own pastor, Dr. Chris Williamson, will be bringing a timely word. If you have prayer requests or would like to give online, be sure to log on to our website or app at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. And now, without further ado, here is our pastor, Dr. Chris Williamson. Well, my, 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 my. The worship team just sang one of my favorite worship songs. I love to be reminded that the Lord is high above the heavens and his glory above the nations. And that is a good lead in today as we embark upon our brand new series called Sovereignty 2020. So from now up through the election on the first Tuesday in November, we will be in the word of God looking at what he has to say as it pertains to politics and the people of God. Sovereignty 2020, because if we don't focus on the one who is high above the heavens and we decide to focus exclusively or entirely upon man, the church will be the tail and not the head. The church will have lost its saltiness. So we must set our eyes on things above where Christ is. And that allows us to represent him well in the earth. Amen, somebody. Oh, I need a virtual amen this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to the New Testament book of First Timothy, chapter two. First Timothy Chapter two. And as you're turning there, I'm sure you would agree that as this election season began on Tuesday of this past week with the debate between President uh, Trump and Vice President Biden, that there was so much controversy, um, even racism and disappointment that came out of that first debate. And then we awakened on Friday morning to the news that President Trump and his wife had contracted the coronavirus. And so there is a lot going on in our world, but we've got to be reminded and encouraged by the fact that although things may be out of control to us, they're not out of control to God. The God who's able to create cosmos out of chaos is the same God who's gonna work all of these things together to a redemptive end. Why? Because he's sovereign and he's doing all of this and he's even allowing these things that he might be glorified and eventually his people edified. Because I know some of us are struggling during this season. It is a test of our faith right now. But we need to recognize that again, the Lord is in control and it's our faith that's going to keep us when the things we see with our eyes trouble us. 
I'm going to say that again. It's our faith that will keep us when the things that we see trouble us. So may your faith be increased today by the word of God. I'll begin reading in verse one of First Timothy, chapter two, reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. The scripture reads as follows. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I call your attention to verse two, when Paul says that prayer should be made for all men in particularly and specifically for kings and all who are in authority. So this morning, I would like to preach a message entitled prayers for the president. Prayers for the president. Let's look to God. Father, we thank you that you are a very present help in a time of trouble. We thank you, Lord, that you have never left us. You have never forsaken us. The three Hebrew boys knew you as the fourth man in the fire. You not only joined them in their conflict, but Lord, you allowed the conflict to burn the bonds and the bands off of their bodies. So Lord, they came out better than how they went in. And Lord, what we're going through today, you are with us. You are the consuming fire and you are cleansing your people. You are drawing us closer to yourself. And Lord, you're making us look more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we submit to you. We ask you to have your way. We ask, Lord, for you to lead us into all truth. We ask that you might fill us, which means we must empty ourselves. We decrease that Jesus may increase. We die to ourselves that Christ may live through us today. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So, Lord, even as we hear your word and especially as I present your word, help us, Lord God, to humble ourselves because you give grace to the humble. Oh, God, thank you for the seed that will be planted this morning. Might it hit fertile hearts in Strong Tower Bible Church and bring forth fruit of 30, 60 and 100 fold, a bushel in our church and in our community, in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world. Lord, bring revival, turn things around, do what is unexpected and we'll give you the glory for we ask it all in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. Prayers for the president. As I go back to our text in First Timothy chapter two, we need to be reminded that this is one of Paul's letters to his young preachers, namely Timothy. And then there's Titus. Um, these books, First Timothy, Second Timothy and Titus comprise the pastoral 
epistles where Paul, the aged apostle, is writing his disciples, his understudies, his mentees. And he is trying to train them and teach them in the things of the ministry that are related to the local church. And so in First Timothy, Paul is saying to this young man of God, I want you to have a strong prayer life. You're not an effective pastor if you don't believe in the effectual fervent prayer that must occur from a righteous man. So he says to Timothy in first Timothy chapter two, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercession and giving of thanks be made for all men. So, Timothy, be a praying pastor. When he says, therefore, in verse one, it connects to us the previous chapter where we see spiritual warfare going on in the church at Ephesus. And Paul even talks about this in verse 18, where he says to Timothy, I want you to wage a good warfare because there are some people who have rejected the faith and even shipwrecked, he said. And he's speaking of Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom Paul had to hand over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. In other words, church discipline occurred upon these two men because of something that they had done within the Christian community that was against God and that they did not repent of. So Paul had to exercise church discipline. And so he then says to Timothy, because of all of that, therefore, because of spiritual warfare, because of Satan, oppressing and tempting and using God's people, I need for you to be a man of prayer because you can't fight this battle with physical weapons. No, you must fight this battle, this spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. And one of the main weapons you have is the weapon of prayer, which is why the Bible says Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. For all nations, preaching is important in this house, but he never said this should be called a house of preaching. Uh, giving money is important in this house, but he never said this shall be a house of giving money. Uh, serving children is important in this house, but he never said that this shall be a house of serving children. He said this should be a house of prayer. The greatest thing the church can do is pray. That's how we fight our battles. We fight spiritual battles in heavenly places by using heavenly weaponry called prayer. So he says, therefore, because of the spiritual warfare, I exhort, first of all, make this a priority that supplications. What supplications? That's asking God to supply to supply the needs of others, to supply your own needs, because God is the ultimate source of all things. And he can send his resources through various channels in order to supply the needs of his people. But may it never be said that we have not because we ask not. So, Lord, supply the needs of your people. Uh, those who need employment, Lord, would you supply? Those who need healing in their bodies, would you supply healing? Those who need transportation, those who need peace in their homes and peace in their mind, Lord, would you supply what the people need? Then he goes on to say offering prayers. This is just prayer in general. 
And God should not only hear from us when there is a problem. God should hear from us because the Bible says that we are to pray without ceasing, which means we should be talking to God on a regular basis around the clock, even if we don't assume a prayer posture or prayer position. We can be like Nehemiah when he was doing his work as the cupbearer to the king and the king laid before him a preposition, a proposition and Nehemiah prayed to God. He didn't say, let me stop and run into my prayer closet. No, he prayed as he was on his job, asking God to give him wisdom to answer his boss. So prayer. So we're praying in the morning, praying in the evening, praying in the midnight hour. We are people of prayer. And then he says intercessions, intercessions. That's when we intercede for our brothers and our sisters. This is literally standing in the gap for our neighbors, for our friends, for our country. We are interceding. God said in the Old Testament that he was about to destroy the land and he would not destroy it if he could find one person who would stand in the gap. And so when we intercede, we stand in the gap and we ask God to have mercy, to relent from judgment. We intercede. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he came and had a conversation with Abraham and Abraham began to intercede for the people in Sodom so that God would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. So when we intercede, we stand in the gap as we would want someone to stand in the gap and pray for us. And then not only does he say supplications, prayers, intercessions, and then he says, and giving of thanks that our prayer, the Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter four, verse six, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make our requests known unto God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when we pray, we want to say, thank you, Lord. When we pray, we just don't want to ask. We want to thank him. We want to thank him many times in advance for what he's about to do. I've got the kind of faith, Lord, that I'm going to thank you in advance because you've heard my requests. I know you heard because I'm praying according to your will, which is found in your word. I know that you hear me and I have confidence that you not only heard me, but you're going to give me what I'm asking. Now, you may not do it the way I want you to do it. You may not answer it the way I want you to answer it, but I know you're going to answer it. And you may not do it when I want you to do it, but I know you're going to do it in your time. So I'm going to thank you that you heard me because you're a good father. You know what I have on my heart, the burdens, the issues, the problems before I even ask you and tell you about them. You already know. So I want to thank you that you know. I want to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. I have a heart of gratitude. My attitude is determining my altitude. I'm just not asking, but Lord, I'm also thanking you as I pray. And I'm thanking you for all men. 
Why? Because all men have been made in the image of God. So if I got a problem with a person, the best way to get over that problem is to pray for that person and even thank God for that person because God is using that person to bring me closer to him. Oh, so in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you and concerning me. So he's saying to Timothy, prioritize prayer in your ministry. And I'm so thankful for Strong Tower Bible Church that these past several years we have prioritized the ministry of prayer. So when you send your prayer requests in back in the day when we would meet here in the sanctuary, the blue cards were prayer cards and you would write down your prayer requests. And every week we would pray specifically over those prayer requests. And, and, and now you have to submit them online. And so when the staff gets together, we pray. Uh, and even if you don't send in a request and we know what's happening, we share those prayer requests in our uh, staff meetings because we give a good measure of staff meeting to prayer time. Then the elders get those prayer requests and they pray over those prayer requests many times with their wives. Then the men's ministry and the women's ministry, they get many of those prayer requests and they are also praying. So, so we want this house, Strong Tower Bible Church, to be a house of prayer for all nations. And I ask you, just like Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he said to them, and pray for me that I may communicate the gospel boldly as I ought to. And I ask you every week to pray for me. Just don't pray that I would be safe. Just don't pray that I would be well. Just don't pray that I would be blessed. But Strong Tower, please pray that I can preach God's word with accuracy and boldness in the name of Jesus Christ, that he may get the glory and people may be converted to him and grow in him. So Timothy, make prayer priority. Then in verse two, Paul is going to get specific with prayer. He's going to say, I want you to pray for kings and all who are in authority. All right. Now it's about to get real. OK, uh, a button up. Uh, put, put your seatbelts on. It's about to get real. Paul said, pray for kings and all who are in authority. Paul urged the first century church to pray for Nero. <laughs> Who's Nero? He was the emperor of Rome during this time when 1 Timothy was written to the church of Ephesus. So Paul urged the first century church to pray for Nero, the man who tortured and persecuted Christians to their deaths. Paul said, pray for him. And obviously one prayer is that he would stop doing evil acts and atrocities. And so the church was called by their pastor, their, their bishop to pray for kings, which would mean to pray for Nero. Paul asked the church to pray for Nero, the evil emperor who would go on to burn down Rome and blame it on Christians. Pray for that man. I, I know you may not care for that man, but I am calling you, God is calling you to pray for that man because it just might be your prayers that God will use to change that man. So Paul is challenging, calling the first church or the church in the first century to pray for Nero. So if the first century church could pray 
for Nero, an evil man, man who burned Rome, a man who persecuted Christians, fed them to lions, dipped them in oil, impaled them and lit them to be human torches in his courtyard. If we can pray for him or if the church could pray for him, can't we pray for Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States of America? Because if Donald Trump is your political enemy, Jesus commands his disciples to pray for their enemies. Oh, yeah. Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five. So so we are commanded to pray for kings. And if this king, this president is your political enemy. Then Jesus says you're to pray for him. So now listen now. We're about to find out that following Jesus is a whole lot more than saying a prayer to get you out of hell. That following Jesus means denying yourself, picking up your cross, your death instrument and in following him. That the only way to have life with Jesus is to lose our lives. That's how we find it. But some of us will lose lives because we're trying to hold on to what we want. But the master has a word for the disciples then and now. And I'll begin reading at Matthew chapter five, beginning at verse 43. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even ta the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, people who hurt us, people who use us and even abuse us. We need to pray for them, not only for their good, but for our growth. Because if I don't pray for them, I don't grow. So I'm praying for them that I may grow closer to God and show proof of the fact that I'm following this person with a capital P who would never give me a command that he would not follow himself. For as Jesus said for us to pray for our enemies, he did just that. And when did Jesus do that? He did it on the cross while his hands were pierced and his feet were pierced and there was a crown of thorns upon his head. Jesus said in Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. There it is. He's praying for his enemies and he's asking God, his father, to have mercy on the people who are literally killing him. Now, before we get too self-righteous and sanctimonious, it's easy to talk about those people and not realize that we people were the ones who whose sins put Jesus on the cross in the first place. So they may have pounded the nails with the hammer, 
but it was our sins that also put Jesus on the cross. We are just as guilty as the one who drove the nails. So when Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Yes, in the immediate context, the killers don't know what they're doing, but we didn't know what we were doing when we were lost in sin and sinning against God and putting our sins on the body of Jesus while on the cross. And Jesus prayed for us that we might be forgiven. Thank you, God. Now, that's love. And so Jesus expects us to have that kind of radical love. We can't do that in our own strength, which is why we need the spirit of Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, Stephen had this power from God when his enemies chose to stone him. After he preached the truth to them in love, they still killed him. And with his last breath, he said, Lord, do not charge this against them. So people who had hurt him with stones and he's bleeding on his way to meet Jesus has the wherewithal to say, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Only the Holy Spirit can do that because the natural inclination is to strike back. But we are not natural people. We are spiritual people now. Can somebody say amen? We are different now. Can somebody say amen? We are new creations now. The old way of fussing and cussing and returning evil for evil has passed away. We're new people now. Can somebody say amen? Well, if you can't say amen, just say hey. I'll give you, I'll give you the men a little bit later, Pastor. Right now I got the hey, but I ain't got the men. Well, hold on, hold on. There's so much more. Because if Donald Trump is your political enemy and you are tempted to gloat that he has this virus. Can I read to you what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 24? Proverbs chapter 24, beginning at verse 17. So so we don't want to gloat because he has the virus or he has professed to having the virus, a man who was anti-virus and who believed the virus was a hoax, the man who hardly ever wore a mask, who conducted rallies where people did not wear masks in the rallies. Uh, and so it, there's a temptation to gloat that he has it. But, but can I give you a warning from scripture? Proverbs 24, verse 17 do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. So we don't gloat when people fall. We want to follow what Jesus taught. Do unto others as you would want others to do unto you. You don't want people gloating when something unfortunate happens to you. You don't want people saying that it's quote unquote karma, which is a worldly Buddhist philosophy. You don't want Christians saying, well, he's reaping what he's sown. No, it just might be natural uh, things occurring. I don't know. But either way, man, don't gloat in this moment. If you think he is faking or lying and this is a political ploy, leave that to God. If you think he is being judged, that is not for us to determine. This is not just about President Trump, God's people. This is about us. 
Pastor, what do you mean? When people who don't know God are kinder and more loving than people who say they know God, it's time for us to repent. In other words, the people who have been saved by mercy should be dispensers of mercy. Because all of us were enemies of God, yet God chose to be merciful to us. So we pray for people. We stand in the gap, especially for our enemies, especially if that enemy is a king or, or he has policies that we do not agree with. Therefore, for the record, for the record, people who don't know me have said that I hate President Trump. <laughs> I don't hate President Trump. I love. President Trump. I hate his deeds and his policies, some of his policies, but I don't hate the man. Jesus teaches me that in the book of Revelation when he says that he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He never said he hated them. He hated their deeds. And so following the Lord's example, man, there are some of the, some deeds and policies and words that I hate that the president does and spews but I don't hate him. And there just seems to be a deception among many of his supporters. And I'll even say followers that you cannot critique the man, that you have to be positive all the time about the man as a sign of your loyalty to the man. Now, to me, that's moving into idolatry. That, that's moving into Kool-Aid drinking of the Jim Jones kind. No, you can support someone and still be critical of that person. One great way to show that you love America, according to Martin Luther King, is that you have the right to critique America, especially when she doesn't live up to her ideals. So, so when we show constructive criticism, then that means that we care. And so there are some who say that if you criticize him, that must mean you hate him. No, no, no. I love him and I love him enough to pray for him. And a lot of people who question the president's salvation based on his words and deeds, uh, 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 we need to say again, God knows his heart. We don't know his heart. God is the judge, capital J. We are not. And what we need to realize that as people are questioning his salvation, don't let people question your salvation because you won't do the right thing. And that is to pray for him. Because if we're mean spirited towards him in this hour, and towards his wife and his family, then people can question our salvation just as much as people question his salvation. So step up during this time and be who you say that you are, a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray for President Trump the way I wish certain Christians had prayed for President Obama. Man, I heard a lot of criticisms of President Obama. Those eight years were hard on a lot of so-called evangelical Christians. I never heard Romans 13 quoted during those eight years of President Obama, but I sure have heard Romans 13 about being subject to governing authorities once President Trump took office. And those people who thought President Obama was the Antichrist, who thought he was a Muslim, who thought that he wasn't a natural citizen, those people, to my knowledge, many of them have never repented of saying those things publicly, which led me to believe many of them didn't even pray for the man while he was in office, the way as we are going to see we've been commanded to. So, folks, pray for President Trump. 
And here are just a few ways that we could pray for him as I close this sermon. We could pray for him, obviously, number one, to be healed. Pray for God to heal President Trump. Hopefully he is turning his face to the wall as King Hezekiah did when he was sick in his body and he asked God to have mercy. And so it's one thing for us to pray for him, but I pray he prays for himself. I pray that he will look to God. You know, the Bible talks about it's hard for rich people to be saved. It's hard to, for rich people um, to come to a place where they need God because they usually have all of their needs met. But now there's something going on that medicine uh, hasn't been uh, created yet to fix. And so therefore, we've got to look to the ultimate fixer. And I pray that he is praying to God himself that he and his wife might be healed. But secondly, I'm praying that he would be humble, humble. Yeah, that's right. Because in order to pray, we've got to humble ourselves. Ain't that right? You can't talk to God and be high minded and arrogant and lifted up. As a matter of fact, again, problems will come to put you down on your knees so that you might lift your head up to God and say, Lord, help me. I can't buy my way out of this one. Lord, I, I, I can't finagle my way out of this one. Only you can get me out of this one. So I pray that he would be humbled, which for many observers, the president is anything but humble. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter six, beginning at verse 16, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. And so the temptation is to point fingers and not allow this word to be a mirror to show us ourselves. It's so easy to call out other people's stuff. But wait a minute. I think the Holy Spirit wants to call out our stuff, too. And when we see verse 16, the first thing on the list or verse 17 is a prideful look or a proud look. And our president is prideful. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I pray that our president would be humble. No king is so high that the most high cannot humble. No king is so high that the most high cannot humble. Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter four, verses 28 through 37. Read that on your own time where God had to teach Nebuchadnezzar a lesson that as great as he was, God was greater. As arrogant as he was, God chose to humble him by turning him into an animal for seven years. And after coming out of that humiliating situation, which he didn't have to go through had he humbled himself. He didn't humble himself. So God had to humiliate him. He came out and he began to say, there is no God, but the Lord Jehovah. Humble. It's, be it's a beautiful thing when a leader is humble, when a president is humble, not arrogant. Matter of fact, it shows great power when you can humble yourself and be a servant leader. Thirdly, I'm praying that the president would be holy, holy. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, talk about how God disciplines his children. And since President Bush professes to be a Christian, uh, I pray that this moment, according to Hebrews, would lead him to holiness, that there would be things in his life that would change as a result of this particular trial, this particular situation in his life. I pray that he would come out of this a better man, a holier man, a godly man, and it would show up in the things that he says. I know no man can tame the tongue, but give the Holy Ghost a chance to tame it. And one way we know that we're growing disciples is by the things that we don't say anymore and the things that we're saying now that glorify God and edify others. I know we're all in process, but that's no excuse to be dustier than we need to be. All right. So I'm praying that there would be a change in his mouth and in his actions because holiness is being set apart from sin. Fourthly, I pray that he would have a heart change. That if he is not a true believer in Jesus, I pray that he would truly submit his life to Jesus and allow Jesus to come into his life and transform him. Ephesians 3.17 says that we ought to pray that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he is Lord, you will be saved. You'll be born again. You'll become a new person. And I pray that he would have a heart change, a true conversion, whereby now he would want to take communion because he realizes that like all of us, he's the chief of sinners. In the past, he said he, he can't think of anything he needs to be forgiven of. And that, my friend, is blasphemous. It's a major fallacy. If he is a Christian, he needs to be discipled. If he's not a Christian, he needs to give his life to Jesus Christ and take communion for real. And he needs to apologize to people that he's offended. And that would be a long line. But then fifthly and finally, we're going to pray that he's healed, humble, holy, has a heart changed, but also that he would become helpful helpful that as a result of this storm that he has been in, if God is merciful enough to bring him through, because there are over 200,000 people who did not survive this dreaded disease, over 200,000 people in this country and scores of others around the world who did not survive this dreaded disease. And if by chance God heals him. I pray that he would come out helpful like David in Psalm 51 verse 13 when he says, now I will teach transgressors your ways. David had sinned with Bathsheba and he repented of his sin and he said, now I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. So I pray that our president will come out wanting to help people, wanting to help folks that he would alter some of his policies, especially the ones that hurt people and not the ones that uh, 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 alter the policies that hurt people so that now they can help people. Policies against Muslims, policies against immigrants, policies against children locked in cages at the border, even wanting to come up with a policy to get rid of diversity training. 
I pray that he would alter his policies and his rhetoric, especially his rhetoric that empowers and emboldens white supremacists in our country. And so that he would be clear with his mouth, clear with, with his authority, so that people who have felt empowered by him will now realize the man has had a heart change. And the man is not telling proud boys to stand by or stand back. He's telling them to disassemble all hate groups to disassemble. He's helpful enough coming out of this, I pray, that rather than saying that this virus is a hoax, that he would say that it's real and that he would encourage everyone to wear their masks, that he would say to people who think it's an infringement on their rights, that no, it's not an infringement on your rights. It is an attempt to keep you alive and it shows that you love your neighbor, that you want your neighbor to be alive. And we're all going to try to work together to do our part in order to see this dreadful disease disappear from our community, that he would be helpful, and that he would be like my man Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector who made a great amount of his wealth by robbing people. And I pray that the president would follow Zacchaeus's example, because when Zacchaeus met Jesus, Jesus did not tell him, you need to pay back what you've stolen. No, Zacchaeus's generate regenerated heart said, I need to do good in exchange for the things that I did bad in. I amassed my wealth through robbery. So now I'm going to give my money to the poor and I'm going to pay back people that I exploited. Wouldn't it be great if the president's heart changed in such a way where he wanted to be helpful and he wanted to make things right with the exonerated five who used to be the central part five, the ones that he said were worthy of the death penalty for allegedly raping a white woman in Central Park. And even when the truth came out, he still did not change because he did not do what was helpful for our nation and for those five young men and their families. What if, what if he, he, he said, I, I, I am so sorry that I'm willing to pay my fair share of taxes and not work the system to get over on the system. Wouldn't that be evidence of repentance? And what if he said, if I lose this election, there will be a peaceful transfer of power. And all the people that I stoked to want to uh, act out violently, I tell you to calm down now. That's how we should pray for the president, that this moment would not pass us by. Pray that he would be healed. Pray that he would be humbled. Pray that he would be holy. Pray that there would be a heart change. Pray that he would come out of this and be helpful. Well, based on the text in 1 Timothy chapter 2, as I close, something happens when God's people pray this way. There's a harvest that comes. Look at verse 2. We're told to pray for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Isn't that what we all want? Don't we want to live quiet, peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence? Don't we want a godly society, a good society? 
Well, in order for that to happen down here with us, some changes need to happen up there with the decision makers in our country. And so as God's people pray, we can see a harvest of fruit in the land, a harvest of peace in the land. But if we don't pray, we'll continue to see trouble in the land and scarcity in the land and violence in the land and corruption in the land and more so division in the church over politics, over race. But if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin. And then will I heal the land. Let's pray for the president. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded of the responsibility that you have placed upon us. Lord, we are the church. You are ahead over everything to the church, not head over everything to the government, but to the church. So let the church pray for the government right now. Let, let the church pr pray for the commander in chief right now. Let the church pray for the president right now. And Lord, all these things we have said, we ask that you would heal him. We ask, oh God, that you would humble him. We, we ask God that you would help him to grow in holiness. We ask, Lord, that you would change his heart and that you would allow him to be helpful. And as we pray for him, we pray for one another. And yes, we pray for ourselves. We need mercy in this hour, not only for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and all of God's cross bearers said what? Amen. God bless. We have come to the end of our worship service, but never to the end of our worship because let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And as you have breath, when we sign off, use your breath to praise the Lord. Oh, my goodness. I pray that you will go out into your community first in your home and be a difference maker, a disciple who makes a difference for Jesus. And we want to keep the Tennessee Titans in prayer and James Mitchell from Strong Tower, who happens to be the chaplain of the Titans. Because of COVID, they are not able to play the Pittsburgh Steelers today. So we want to pray for the organization that God would keep those men safe, their families safe. But once again, God is teaching us what to prioritize uh, uh, because, man, when we don't have our football, when we can't do the things that we like, hopefully it causes us to be still and know who God is. Hopefully it causes us to look up to God. And so we want to remember those guys today and others in our families, in our church, um, who are wrestling with various things. So be people of prayer. Amen. Uh, uh, be people who petition God. Be people who stand in the gap for others. Call out to God and he will answer you and he will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, Today is the day of salvation. Call out to God and say, God, would you save me from my sins? I am guilty. I have fallen short of your perfection and your glory. I feel the guilt. I feel the weight. But I heard that Jesus loved me. I heard that Jesus died for my sin. 
I heard that Jesus was buried and I heard that he rose again from the grave to be my savior and my deliverer. And I placed my faith, my trust, my life, my hope, my everything in Jesus. Jesus, son of God, save me. If you've never prayed that prayer today, pray that prayer. Jesus, save me. <laughs> and today will be the day of salvation. Today you will be born all over again. Today, your sins will be forgiven. Today, you will be a child of God. Today, today, today. And if you've done that today, email us here at Strong Tower Bible Church just so we can shout with you. Uh, uh, that's info at stbch.org. And if you are a Christian and don't have a church home, email us at the same address and say, I'm interested in becoming a member of Strong Tower Bible Church, and we'll make sure that we get to you so that we can take care of that. If you need to be baptized, come holler at us, and we will baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to let the world know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Let's receive the benediction. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. We love you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day, and we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower. Seven.